falling from ten stories up, treading water in the middle of the ocean, no boat in sight. Bright eyes in the dead of night. Long, white, sharp teeth. Pure, unrelenting darkness from which there is no escape. An unkillable, intelligent being or force that pursues you with only your flesh and blood on its mind, finding yourself buried alive. The feeling of a small, dry, raspy leg, or multiple legs, slowly crawling up your entire body. If you're like most people, just the thought of these things may be enough to give you goosebumps. Why? Because all of these things are well-known fears. Horror in media is well-known and one of the most popular niche genres out there. While horror is not generally a mainstream genre, it is undeniably a genre that receives a high amount of exposure and one of the genres that people enjoy watching others play more than any other in the video game world. This reason is likely why there are so many great and incredibly poor horror games. Today, Reflections on Gaming wants to discuss what it is that makes a horror game good or bad. Note that this is based on our opinion, of course, but we will discuss certain scientific studies and reasonings behind horror in general. But our specific preferences for horror will likely not, well, might not necessarily line up with your own, and and that's fine, but we want to give our view on effective and good horror. We are Reflections on Gaming. I'm Weston. And I'm Jordan. So, first questions first. Let's lay some groundwork out there. What is fear? A common definition follows. An unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Fear is a primal feeling. Something that anyone can understand and commiserate with. Not only is it primal, it was, and sometimes still is, a mechanism to keep us alive. Fear helps us heighten our awareness of our surroundings, make quick decisions, and often fills us with adrenaline. Why then do some people, nay, many people, desire to induce this feeling of fear for fun? That does not sound like fun. But it is, though. What is it that turns that feeling... Uh, needed for survival, into a plaything. The truth is that there doesn't appear to be a single definite answer, as different studies have found different conclusions. But there are several threads that are consistent among these studies that help inform us of some very likely reasons. Primarily, because fear is such a primal, sometimes unconscious feeling, it can be incredibly powerful Therefore, people seek out fear to feel a powerful sensation. Not everyone enjoys horror, and this is generally due to an underlying personality difference between them and people who do enjoy it. That difference being, <clears throat> that difference being people who enjoy high stimulus and people who find high stimulus to be draining. Uh, think about people who love going on roller coasters versus people who can't stand them. People who love going to concerts and people who would rather sit and listen with headphones on at home. Um, so with that in mind, we can now take a look at what it is about horror that causes those intense stimuli. First, there's tension. Horror is a genre that relies heavily on nothing actually happening. 
as odd as that may seem. Horror games that have things happening all the time generally aren't regarded as good and are never regarded as scary. Second, horror relies on using innate fears that we as a species tend to share, or it attempts to create something that can fill us with dread using those things. Often, good horror will do both. Think about the xenomorph from Alien. It relies on innate fears such as rape uh, because of the facehuggers, the pre uh, predation, it being a stalking hunter, and the fear of the unknown, combining them together into a whole new beast that is considered one of the best horror creatures ever crafted. Finally, great horror relies on being unreal. Even the most realistic horror game is still just a game. This lets us experience extreme emotions in a safe environment, which means that even at the height of your emotions, your brain knows subconsciously that you're safe. All these things together um, aren't necessarily needed for great horror, but they do. you do have to rely on at least one of these elements to elicit that fear from people. If you don't have tension and then a payoff in your game, then your game is dull. Either you never have the payoff and so it's boring, or you never have tension and it can still be boring because it's not good horror. There's nothing scary about things happening every single second. At the same time, there's not really anything scary about nothing ever happening. You can have all the tension in the world and it could be completely unreal and it can like it can have all the elements of horror and still not be scary. It's a pretty it's a very fine line that you have to walk to make effective horror, which is why it's it's one of the most difficult genres to do right, especially in video games. And obviously this is a gaming podcast. It's what our focus is on. And video games are a media that you interact with in a way you don't interact with any other type of media. You are there, you're holding a controller, and you are physically interacting with the world and the horror. And it is particularly difficult to do horror well in that instance. And we're going to talk about games uh, that do it well and poorly. But before jumping into the games themselves, let's talk about some techniques that games and other media use to scare us. Things that horror games use to scare us are, uh, well, some of the things are pretty obvious. Jump scares, which are actually not technically scary, they're surprising. Scientifically, they're referred to as engaging the startle reflex, because jump scares, right, they can be used well to pay off tension. Again, like I said, if nothing ever happens, that's usually not great. Um, they introduce something that can be scary if they're done well. Uh, if they introduce something that is in and of itself scary, uh, it can be a highlight of horror. If they introduce that thing that is innately terrifying to people, um, and we'll talk about some good and bad examples of that as well. Usually, unfortunately, jump scares are way, way overused, or they're done super poorly, or both. Five <coughs> Nights at Freddy's. <clears throat> Gorn Blood. Uh, is also something that can be scary due to, you know, the innate disgust and the thought of that happening to you is, you know, it can be pretty scary, but a lot of the times it's too prevalent and is used as just, it is literally there to disgust you more than to terrify you. It can be done in very 
it has to be like tastefully done, which is kind of funny to talk about when you're talking about horror is well, tastefulness. I, I, I think it's one of those things <laughs> that um, horror more recently has been conflated with disgust because for for a niche genre like horror, uh, a lot of people that have enjoyed horror have enjoyed that kind of gore, but they're not really in it for the scariness of it. They're in it for that intense disgust and and some people honestly enjoy it because they can stomach it and other people can't and it gives them kind of a superiority complex i'm not going to say that's a very prevalent thing i'm not going to say that is you if you can take gore and whatnot uh i myself have played plenty of hyper graphic games and it's not a big deal but it all has to be done the right way um Things like Saw, the the movies and um, games that follow after that kind of trope of being torture porn, um, that is a literal categorization for horror subgenres is torture porn. And that's not really scary. Um, It's very disturbing and, and it's disgusting, but there's nothing scary about seeing mutilation. It's scary to think about the pain that may accompany it and there's... And, and there's the fear of maybe being in that situation. But generally, that's not what those movies are going for. They're just going for being as disturbing and disgusting as possible. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of games have taken cues from that. Uh, you can just think of some recent games. Um, there's the Agony game that came out that they had an adult-only rating uh, because you were in hell. And it was extremely graphic and, you know, like people eating babies and these topless, completely new demons and all this stuff. And it tanked because it wasn't scary and it wasn't fun. Has there ever been an AO game that didn't tank? Like, I feel like the adults-only rating is a is a pretty bad sign from the get-go. It, it, it depends. <laughs> There's lots and lots of adult games out there that do very well. Mm. They just generally are not broadcast to mass audiences. Of, of course. Because mass how audiences do, aren't interested. How do you advertise that? Anyway... Yeah, anyway, moving on from that, um, aside from the gore and blood and jump scares, there are some other overt things that uh, games and media use to scare us. There's monsters, um, that scary thing you have to avoid or confront. There's tension, which we spoke about before. And tension itself can be terrifying, but it needs a payoff eventually to really have the impact you want. Um, And uh, those... Those things are really the overt things that we think about when we hear, talk, or experience horror. Those are kind of the key principles. But there are other key principles that um, induce that sensation of fear in us that you may not always recognize. Um, So here's a couple of things that can make you feel afraid and you don't necessarily know why. One is an actual psychological effect of sub-frequent frequencies. Um, It's probably not the right term, but essentially it is a frequency of sound that you are not able to perceive. The sound is happening, but your brain cannot interpret it because your, your eardrums are not attenuated to that frequency. You, you are still affected by it, but you can't hear it. If, if it plays, it just sounds like silence. Um, but it has been scientifically shown in in many studies. I mean, this is pretty well known that they're so low, um, and even though you can't hear them, they cause anxiety in most people. You will feel 
uncomfortable, even if, um, and there are lots of videos you can watch that talk about this and we'll play example sounds, you will feel uncomfortable, uh, without really understanding why. And that's especially true when you aren't conscious. You're not like, oh yeah, I'm listening to this thing. Um, you know, when it's just there and nobody's telling you, you're not being told about it. It's not obvious. Uh, you can really be like, why do I feel so uncomfortable right now? <laughs> nothing's, nothing's happening. And it, it may, it kind of feeds into that tension. It's often used in very tense situations, especially in like movies to make you feel even more uncomfortable than you already do facing that, uh, uh, scare trigger. So going along with these ideas of noises um, inducing fear, there's also the loud, sudden sounds. Um, they often accompany jump scares, quote-unquote, um, but they don't always accompany jump scares. They don't always accompany a sudden image. Sometimes it's just a sudden noise. Um, think about the crescendo of um, a symphony during a particularly tense scene, the scene doesn't necessarily change, but as your perception becomes more and more aware of the terror that is present, the sound goes along with it, and you get pulled into that kind of hype. Um, and just a loud si sound out of nowhere uh, is very startling. And if you're very tense, um, it causes kind of a, a hyper hypertension um, with that because your body is trying to figure out what it should do and it is anticipating something that is terrifying. Uh, and so even without it being scary, you have been quote unquote scared. Uh, this just like jump scares, not great unless it is used well. When it is used well, it's fantastic. Um, but it is a crutch that is used far too often. Um, there's also subliminal messaging. This can be audio or visual. Uh, it's anything. It can be anything from flashes on the screen to minor text on the screen that you might not consciously be recognizing to themes and leitmotif and music. Um, just anything that the movie is trying to get you to recognize without being overt. Um, some great horror uses this to great effect. I cannot think of any specific examples right now but uh well movies like insidious and the conjuring do this really well well they're where they'll have things and lake mungo where they'll have things happening in the background they'll have a ghost or a ghoul or some like whispering happening in the background without pointing it out uh half-life also does this with the head crabs um there's a reason it sounds so unsettling to hear them screaming and it's because they're literally you know the humans screaming for help not just like uh, that's right. If you that's right. If you if you reverse, reverse uh -huh. their screams, they are actually screaming for help. Yep. Um, some other things. There's uncomfortable framing. Um, something that you may have already picked up on, uh, but perhaps not in horror, is that often you will get very close, jarring angles. Um, something where you might not even be able to recognize what's happening yet. Uh, other times you're just very close zoomed in on the person's face and you get a really good look at the details of that face and it's very uncomfortable because most people don't like being that close you also sometimes get framing that's very far away letting you see a lot and take in a lot and you don't know what you should be focusing on and so it gives you some tension 
Um, some other things are twitching erratic movements, um, darkness in general, just not being able to see things, having to look more intently, darkness itself being one of those very common fears that people have, um, and false positives. False positives are uh, moments where you are expecting a payoff to tension, but your tension remains because it's not a payoff. Now you don't know what to expect next. And if this false positive has been used correctly, they then give you something to fear. Uh, think of uh, scenes in movies where you expect to see or hear something scary and it doesn't happen, right? Or the character turns around to be like, who's there? Nothing happens. And then they turn around again and boom, there's the creature, right? It's terrifying. That is a great way to really pay off and intensify the tension because sometimes you'll do a false positive that is, uh, it releases your tension. You no longer have the tension that you had built up. And so you get this minor relief and then the tension and the fear come back immediately because your body is entering into fight or flight. You don't know how to react to this sudden stimuli. And as long as it's not a sudden one and done gone, uh, it's a great way to be like, I need to scramble and do something now. All of these techniques, when they're used well and uh, in combination with each other, they can make any kind of media absolutely terrifying. Um, a lot of the times, in fact, most of the time, they're used not to their fullest extent. Uh, they're used to induce horror without really putting in the work of crafting it in the correct way. I'd, one thing I want to mention really quick, since we're talking about video games, video games are unique out of any other kind of media because if you're reading a book or watching a movie or TV show that's horror, you have no control over what is going to happen. The main character or characters are either going to die or not die. It's going to happen, and it's predetermined from the minute you start the movie. It was created with specific ideas in mind of what's going to happen to your character. And yeah, that's true in games. The plot, obviously, is still scripted. But if you think about... It, it is down to your decisions on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in a lot of times. Whether you succeed or fail uh, It has nothing to do... It's not just given to you. You aren't just automatically saved from the monster chasing you down, and it is one of the most horrifying things in video games. Relentless pursuit is, um, it is sometimes used in, in horror movies, but it's usually for very small sections. Whereas in video games, sometimes you can go through the entire game feeling as if you're being relentlessly pursued by something, and the tension never goes away because you are physically making the decisions on a moment-by-moment -moment basis of what to do, and it makes it it can be one of the most effective, terrifying things. I still don't want to play Resident Evil 2 again, because that's stupid freaking Mr. X bullcrap. Okay, with that in mind, uh, let's discuss different horror games and dissect what makes them good, great, or not so good, or just downright awful. There's so many. There are so many. Quick disclaimer, before we discuss the games, we want to make sure that you know exactly where we're coming from in our critiques of these games and their utilizations of the techniques we have laid out previously. Um, 
It is Reflections on Gaming's opinion that good horror is horror that makes you face your fears, not run away from it. If a game consist, consists exclusively of you running away or avoiding the danger, it's not good horror, right? How many horror movies have you seen where they never have to have a confrontation with the big bad? They're just constantly running away. There are no good horror movies like that because they're bad horror movies. <laughs> they're cheap horror movies. So um, there are some exceptions to this, very minor exceptions to this. But in general, for Reflections on Gaming to consider it to be good, you have to face your fear. Uh, and we'll go exactly into why we feel this way as we're discussing the games. But we want you to know what our bias is towards horror going into this. We've also already discussed that we're not a big fan of torture porn or highly graphic um, horror. Just anything that isn't necessarily building up and relieving tension, but just making you uncomfortable with the pain being inflicted. Um, not, not great. Body horror... It all depends on exactly what's going on there, but that too often tends to be in line with torture porn and just a gore flick. So, yep, pretty much. <laughs> with those caveats in mind, let's head into discussing some different uh, video games, some different series in the horror genre, and find out what makes them great and what makes them suck. All right. So to start off, we're going to talk about a series that actually is is interesting um, because it starts out as really, really good horror and kind of uh, moves out of the horror genre as it goes on, and that is Dead Space. Dead Space 1, clear horror, you know, obviously very inspired by Alien. Um, you are isolated. You're on a ship with terrifying-looking uh, humans who have been transmogrified by, uh, you know, aliens, right? Presumably. Um. You don't really know until the end of the game slash the third game what's really happening. Mm. Um, but essentially, yes, we can we can ascribe it to aliens, um, specifically an alien signal that causes mutations within the mind and then the actual corpse. Yeah, Dead Space One does a great job. Um, one of the one really good effective horror trope is taking a human body and making it no longer human. It is still recognizable as this thing was definitely once just like me, but now xenomorph or necromorphs. Necromorphs. Yeah. Necromorphs, um, you know, still look human, but they've got giant freaking crab claws. They've got more limbs than a normal thing. They're super fast. Their jaws are hanging way more open than a human jaw can actually go. They're they're recognizable, but they're uh, it's almost like Uncanny Valley, but on purpose. To the point where it's like, uh, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> it's, it's too unnatural and yet too familiar for me to feel comfortable looking at. And, uh, I think Dead Space 1 also does a really good job as a video game of requiring you to face the necromorphs in a specific way. Where you can't just blast away at them. That in every instance where you're facing a necromorph, you can't just panic and shoot them. You have to go at them taking off their limbs. Otherwise you're going to run out of ammo real quick and do very, very little damage. You have to stay in control. And the more you panic, the more danger you're putting yourself in every time. I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the original dead space is one of the greatest horror games ever created. Um, the, the setting 
is unique. Um, the the actual enemies are unique in a way that had never done, been done before. Um, it throws the trope on its head, whereas previously zombie games, you always shoot them in the head. This one, the head is meaningless almost. Uh, and not only that, not only is it effective horror in that you have to face your fears constantly, it's also fantastic in its sound design. Um, you will often hear noises inside the ship and you're like, is something going to pop out? Is is this some new enemy I'm going to have to face? Like, what's happening? And sometimes there's payoff and sometimes there isn't. And that's a great way to create tension because you doubt every time you hear it. You're like, is this going to be something surprising? And suddenly you slow down and you are paying much more attention to what might happen in the near future or in the vicinity. There are necromorphs that play dead. Um, your weapons that you use, except for one of them, aren't actually weapons. They are science tools, or um, I'm sorry, engineering tools that are meant for dissembling spacecrafts and ores and minerals. And you're using it to dismember people and corpses. And you have to deal with all sorts of different types of enemies that get um, released over time. There's a psychological horror of just not knowing what's going on, being in an unfamiliar territory. The lighting is fantastic. Just this game really makes you feel weak. Even though, if you took away all of these horror things, it plays very close to a, a regular action-adventure shooter. Um, the, the guns are very satisfying and they feel powerful. You literally just rip limbs off with them and you'd think that would make you feel extremely powerful, but it doesn't because the enemy you're facing is so exotic and so terrifying that nothing you get could ever make you feel powerful. Uh, and so the original Dead Space is absolutely masterclass in its horror techniques um, and just the feeling of terror that it manages to continue throughout the entirety of its playtime, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, but I believe that they managed it, and and I'm not sure there's many that would um, disagree. Yeah, I'll also mention uh, this is true for Dead Space and for uh, several Resident Evil games, though not all of them. It has a menu system that is uh, live. It doesn't pause the game to go and look at your map or your items because, yeah, you're a dude on a spaceship full of space zombies trying to murder you. You're not getting a break from that. Uh, if you want to do any inventory management, you got to do it real time. Um, and, you know, that's not necessarily scary. If you're at a save point, you know you're most likely safe. Um, but... It can be very terrifying at a point where you need to do something. You need to use an item and there's Necromorph chasing you and you're like, I can't fight this thing because I need to switch around my weapons or whatever. Um, I think that's probably more uh, applicable to Resident Evil, but it does exist in, in Dead Space. Uh, Dead Space 2 is also good horror. I haven't actually played it, but I've watched quite a bit of it and it does keep that horror aesthetic, but it's not. Um, it's not quite at the same level of horror as Dead Space 1, and I think, Jordan, you have a better perspective on this. Yeah, well, the unfortunate thing with most horror sequels is that inevitably you get horror fatigue, um, which is even when you have crafted a, a just fantastic 
uh, experience that's very terrifying. If you continue with the same things, um, you become accustomed to it and it's just not as scary anymore. And this ties into the fact that you know it's not real. Um, so when you are able to anticipate things, the tension is gone. Uh, and since you're not in any real danger, that can be a, a very easy thing to fall into uh, where your horror goes out the window. Now, Dead Space 2 does involve new scenarios, new areas, callbacks to the first game. Um, for the most part, the horror is intact and there's no uh, real there's no real horror fatigue. Uh, but rather the main pitfall of two, and this would continue into Dead Space 3, is that Isaac Clarke began to become much more powerful. Uh, his suits look much cooler and more protect. Prote <clears throat> his suits look much more interesting. Uh, they've got a cooler aesthetic and they look much more protective. Whereas in the first one, you always felt like you were vulnerable even with the best armor. Uh, and all the weapons are a little bit more vicious, feel a little bit more powerful. So while the game is still great, it's not as good as a horror game because you are becoming a little too powerful. Uh, and unfortunately, that's another pitfall of a sequel. You don't want people to feel weak after having completed a bunch of things. But in horror, for horror to work, you always have to feel kind of like you're on the back foot. Um... So Dead Space 2 is still fantastic, but it does have a couple of pitfalls that unfortunately lessen just the horror aspects of the game, uh, whereas essentially everything else about the game I think is better. Uh, the only thing that maybe is debatable about that is the fact that Isaac Clarke uh, speaks in the second game, whereas he is mute throughout the first game. Personally, uh, I am a fan of the main player character always speaking uh, and having a personality. I don't like faceless, voiceless protagonists uh, because it, it, it feels lazy. I do not imprint on those people. I don't imagine myself in their shoes because it's a video game. Uh -huh. well, that's a personal qualm that I have. Uh, Dead Space 3, uh, just really quick, isn't really a horror game anymore. Uh, it's much more action-y, especially if you are playing it co-op. Um, yeah, it basically doesn't, doesn't really exist anymore, which doesn't make it bad. It's still a good game. It's just not really a horror game anymore. Yeah. I, I still found it incredibly enjoyable. Uh, it's unfortunate. Some of the decisions they made, uh, one big thing is all the ammo ammo in the game is exactly the same. Um, any ammo you pick up can be used for any weapon, which really kills the tension because you can use anything you want. Uh, they added some payable DLC stuff where you could buy really powerful weapons. I never used that, but the fact that it was in the game just kind of undercut any kind of horror they could have. They still had incredibly interesting um, game design, character design, enemy design, great levels. You know, it's still a fun game. It's still very well put together, but... For all intents and purposes, it is a bastardization of the Dead Space formula. Okay, moving on to... So that that's Dead Space. All in all, really good series. The first one, by far the best in the horror realm, but all three of them are, are good games. Uh, let's move on to one that neither of us are, are really big fans of. Outlast. The first game. Neither of us have beaten this game, but I have played it. I actually played it on a... 
YouTube series a long time ago. Don't look for it. You won't find it, which is, it's better that way. Um, but while playing it, it is one of those games where you don't really ever face your fears because, well, you don't, you cannot, <laughs> it is impossible. You will die. That is, that is the entire crux of the game is you can only run away and that's it. That's the whole game is you run away, completing different objectives while running away. Um, and you know, let just the first and second game will just lump together because it's the same in both of them. Sometimes to a ridiculous extent where you just have to, you're just running and a lot of them are scripted where you just run in a straight line, basically for the, for the whole thing. Um, that's pretty sucky. It, uh, we didn't find it. We played the second game together on stream and to be fair, we couldn't actually hear it because it was before we had uh, a streaming capture cards before we could actually listen to the audio. And yes, I'm sure the audio would have made it slightly more tense, but that doesn't change the fact that the core mechanics of the game are not scary and are frankly pretty boring. You know, by the time you get to the end of the game, you're just like, okay, great, let's let's just get through this. The story is not particularly scary. Uh, the second game is filled with a, quite a bit of disturbing and graphic themes and imagery but again it's not particularly scary it's just kind of gross and well, or let's weird just, let's just let's just say that there is very little graphicness um throughout the game except for corpses and blood and whatnot until the very end in the second game where you see a woman a woman give birth uh now on the playstation 4 this is censored you don't see her genitalia or the baby actually being birthed, you just see her in a lot of pain, covered in blood, and then you see the bloodied baby once it has come out. Um, but neither this nor the uncensored version that you can see on PC are horrifying, right? Childbirth should not be a horrific thing. It's something that people go through on a very regular basis. Um, trying to put it in this terrifying circumstance where you're actually incredibly safe when this is happening really undercuts the tension and they're just trying to make it disgusting or disturbing uh and unfortunately it it very much in our opinion falls flat in that there's there's no build-up to it there's no tension surrounding it uh in these games where you cannot face enemies you never really have to worry when a cutscene starts because you're like, I know that I'm not going to have to fight this thing. The worst thing that happens is I have to run away afterwards. And usually if you do have to run away, it is, in fact, in a straight line. It is very rarely that you will be put in the midst of, you know, multiple pathways after a cutscene. Or a puzzle to solve or something like that. Right. And so it's just very uninteresting. And to be clear... You don't have to have a gun or a machete to have to fight back. You can fight back using the environment. There's lots of great horror games where you as a character don't have any combat um, utility. But to face the enemies that you're taking on, you do have to use the environment to stop them. Um, I mean, a great example not in game form but in media form would be the original Terminator where Sarah Connor... Nothing she used was effective against the Terminator, so she had to use the environment of this industrial mill to compress it and destroy it so that she didn't get killed. That, even though she didn't have, you know, 
direct force against it. She wasn't shooting it in the face. That is a great way to have a, a monster that feels unsurmountable, but make you face it anyway. I don't want to harp on about this, but it, it does feel, going back to the whole childbirth thing, it really just does feel like the developers went into this with a teenage or immature person as their audience and went like, oh yeah, look, it's the it's the female body in a normal human process. Pretty gross, am I right? Um, and yeah, it just it just feels weird <laughs> and, and not very not very well, good. I don't want to go on a tangent, but it also seems really rude to uh-huh. any woman that's ever given birth. Totally, like I'm going to use this experience that is generally seen as a very good positive thing in your life and i'm going to turn it into a nightmare for uh-huh. all these other people yeah because exactly. you're doing it in a barn and it's like man there's like billions of people that believe in a deity that was born <laughs> in a barn you're uh kind of kind of going far there which i i make that illusion because they make that illusion it's kind of part of the thing is this baby is very important in the game and it's supposed to be you know this messianic kind of figure uh, I find it very pretentious. I'm not a big fan. Yeah, no, it wasn't good. Okay, moving on to, again, a divisive series in many ways. Resident Evil. I'm not sure i call it divisive so much as I would say dichotomous in the quality True. of the horror of the different games. Yeah, Resident Evil is weird because it really, it is, at this point, at this current place in time, it is a literal roller coaster slash bell curve. You have the first three games. Uh, They're old. Going back to them now, there's a lot of problems with them that make them less scary. The lighting is is weird. They just just play like old games because they are old games. But for the time that they came out, the era where they originally were in, they were really good, slow-paced. They were difficult to control, which did add to the tension because if something came behind you, you had to go like... Oh no, I need to aim at the thing. It's coming up behind me. Oh, got it. Cool. Um, and you're forced to deal with enemies. Uh, they do a good job with jump scares because they're not jump scares with no payoff. They're jump scares of dogs busting in through windows and then you need to immediately react and, and shoot them and you have to deal with them differently than other enemies. Um, the second and third game give you enemies you can't defeat right away. Uh, and you have to puzzle solve while they're hunting you down, which adds a lot of tension because you have no idea when they're going to bust into the room and you're going to have to, you know, run around, kite them around or waste a lot of ammo getting out of a corner if they corner you or whatever. Um, so all in all, though they're old and they don't hold up very well today for the era they came out in and the ideas they present, they're they're quite good. I mean, they're still fun games. Um, but if you go into them, unless you go into them with the foreknowledge that they are very old and clunky compared to today, you probably won't enjoy them. Um, but they laid great foundations for horror as a genre in the gaming medium. Then the fourth game came out and it kind of continued a trend that the games were having that they had more and more action elements and, uh, you were becoming much more powerful, much more capable. And in the fourth game, really the horror is almost gone. It's more like an action movie set in a horror setting, uh, which isn't bad. It's a fantastic game, 
but the horror has been lessened immensely. Uh, the only tension that remains is due to the combat. Um, the setting itself isn't really all that terrifying, and because you are constantly taking out dozens of enemies, any single enemy that you face is rarely something scary. Uh, and the only ones that are scary are really big monsters, and they're more terrifying because you feel like, hey, they can kill me in one shot, rather than I'm going to have to face them, and I'm going to have to deal with this, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, one, this is kind of an aside, but one thing that is a little difficult to balance in video games, specifically with horror, are one-shot KOs, because you want the enemy to feel very powerful and threatening, but dying over and over again to an enemy um, kind of sucks the horror out of it, and it becomes more obnoxious. Uh, and also, as soon as you're dead, the horror is gone. You no longer have any kind of tension or payoff because you have to reload a save. Um, to that point, there are two things that... Well, there's one thing Resident Evil definitely does, and there's another that I suspect it probably does that does a good job of remedying this psychologically, even when you know it's happening. The first of those is that Resident Evil is an adaptive game. Uh, I don't know. This Specifically probably... Resident Evil 4. Yeah, Resident Evil 4 and uh, 7 I'm, is also this way. They will give you ammo only as fast as you are consuming that ammo. And they will give you herbs only as fast as you are consuming herbs. If you have 20 bullets, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any pistol ammo because they want you to feel like ammo is scarce. You... um. And it is possible to run out of ammo. Don't don't get me wrong. The game will not constantly feed you ammo if you're using it all up. You still have to be judicious in when you're uh, choosing to kill things, especially in, uh, for instance, the RE2 remake, where killing everything is completely... You cannot do that. It's not going to work. Not till you get the Gatling gun. <laughs> um, so that adaptive method of uh, ammo and, and just kind of materials is a great way to keep the tension, and but also make it feel fair. Another way to fix, in my opinion, a really good way to remedy the whole one-shot kill is, yeah, you don't want necessarily enemies to kill you in one shot, but percentage-based damage is a really good way to make enemies seem extremely powerful without punishing the player for not necessarily having a full heal on them. If you have something do 70% damage to you twice before it kills you, or just once, you know, have something two-shot you, uh, but it's impossible for you to die on the first hit unless you're low on health, you will feel like the enemy is extremely powerful without it necessarily feeling super unfair that you keep dying in one hit that was just kind of a fluke or or inescapable. Um, so I think that's... I don't know if Resident Evil does that, but I do think it is a good tactic to make enemies feel powerful without making them unfair. Yeah, a, a lot of games do use that, but I find in horror, less so. Anyway, so 4 still had the horror. Uh, it still had some scary moments, for, but for the most part, I don't think most people would um, would disagree that it is not the scariest of games. It's not even really all that scary. But... Resident Evil 5 and 6, and I'm going to lump these together because they're about the same, really don't have any horror. They are full-on, B-tier, campy action movies, and I love them. They're extremely fun, 
but horror they ain't. <laughs> the scariest thing in Resident Evil 5 is thinking about Chris punching your head like he punched that boulder, am I no, right? The, the scariest thing about Resident Evil 5 is imagining playing it alone and dealing with Sheva's AI. <laughs> Truth. Oh, man. Yeah, there's still a couple of really tense portions of the game, like facing chainsaw dudes, but the hordes and hordes of enemies that you face and just completely mow down, the fact that you go through with a partner who's able to watch your back, um, it ju- and, and just the over-the-top action elements and the incredible prowess of the protagonists that they're no longer, you know, a Leon Kennedy just wandering into a gas station or, you know, having to fight his way through a few zombies in a police station and struggling with them. But they're the type of people that, again, can just punch a boulder off a path. Uh, That action hero sentiment really, really undercuts any feeling of like, oh no, I'm, I'm totally outmatched here. And, you know, I'm horrified because these things are way more powerful than me. And it just, there's very, there's very little tension going on. Luckily, Capcom realized their error and came out with Resident Evil 7 and then the remakes. And specifically 7 for me is one of the scariest games I've ever played. I literally felt my heart racing as I was playing the game almost throughout the entire thing. There are times where I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack because it was just terrifying. Uh, that game utilizes all of the aspects that we talked about before just perfectly. And while it does have a ramping up of the player's ability in that you get better and better weapons to handle enemies and it becomes a little bit easier, they do a great thing where they take that away from you and they make you kind of start over again. And then once you get all your stuff back, you suddenly have to face hordes of enemies and you're in a situation that you were never in before. Uh, and they really up the stakes. And I feel like the way that they did it was perfect or close to... Per- if not... Wait. Almost, if not, actually perfect. I think one of the best things Seven does, like Jordan said, he says hordes of enemies... That's not really accurate. The most enemy, if you're playing the game well, the most enemies you're ever going to face at one time is about four. Yeah, four. That's it. That That's it. That is the most enemies you will face at one time, and that is endgame. Um, but but facing a single enemy in this game is can be nerve-wracking. You're in tight, most of the, most of the game, you're in tight rooms or tight corridors. You have things falling from the ceiling, crawling out of vents. And there are these giant black mold monsters that take, if you're not hitting them in the head, even when you hit them in the head, they take three to five shots. And if you're not hitting them in the head, they can take seven to ten bullets, and ammo is very scarce in that game. Um, it's it's really it's really quite good. They made the enemies feel powerful, but they're slow, so they're not totally overwhelming. They're just terrifying in, in every way. Yeah, Resident Evil 7 is my favorite in the series so far. 2 and 3 um, really managed to bring that horror back. 3, a little bit less so, and honestly, 3 originally was not quite as scary. But uh, depending on your particular opinion, uh, the remakes are just empirically better than the originals um, in every way, shape, and form, and that includes the horror. Some people are going to debate that, uh, especially on the third one. A lot of people did not like what happened with that, felt like it was very poorly done and rushed. 
I don't agree. I might agree that it could have used a little bit more stuff in it, but I I still thought that it was very competent. And um, having played the Maiden demo for Resident Evil 8, uh, it is shaping up to be another Final Fantasy VII-esque horror escapade. It looks fantastic in terms of building up tension, in terms of using those horror tropes effectively, not in a cheap uh, kind of way to really pay off that tension instead of just kind of making you feel um, <laughs> horror aroused, I'll say. <laughs> it's not it, It's not like you're actually afraid. You just think you are because you were surprised. I always hate that kind of thing. Yeah, the RE8 Maiden demo, uh, you know, Resident Evil 8 is the first horror game of the new generation. It's going to be coming to the PS5 in May. less than a month. Yeah, uh... And just from this demo, really quick, uh, it does a great job. It looks fantastic. It's got a couple of false leads. And this is a very short demo. There's no combat, so we can't speak to that yet. But the atmosphere is definitely there. There are sharp noises where you're not actually in danger. There is a crescendo in the music that makes you feel like something is going to happen and and nothing does, and it kind of goes back down. And when something does happen, it's at the point where you don't feel like there is... You feel like you've been released... Well, no, that's not true. When something does happen, it's exactly when you expect it, and it's just as scary as you think it's going to be, even though you expect it. And it does some similar things to Resident Evil 7, but that's not a that's not a bad thing, because Resident Evil 7 did a great, great job. Resident Evil 7 is awesome. Moving on to... Um, there, There's one thing with the next game, Amnesia The Dark Descent, is a great horror game, and it does something that Resident Evil to remake also does, which is that kind of relentless pursuit horror that I was talking about. The Tyrant or Mr. X in the Resident Evil 2 remake and the monsters in Amnesia Dark Descent are constant threats. In in Resident Evil 2 remake, after you encounter Mr. X the first time, you can hear him stomping around and there are very few places where you know he will not go. And you never know when he's just going to, you're heading towards a door and he's just going to bust through that door and you need to hightail it the opposite direction and make a giant loop to get where you wanted to go. And in Amnesia the Dark Descent, the same thing is true. You never know when you're going to open a door and there's going to be one of those wide-mouthed, evil, gross, nasty monsters right there that you need to go run away and blockade a door to avoid. Well, so I have played through Amnesia the Dark Descent uh, and when I played it, I cheated um, I'll just tell you guys honestly, the first portion of the game, I gave myself, for all intents and purposes, unlimited health and unlimited sanity. Uh, and the reason I did that is because I did not anticipate enjoying the game. Um, I just wanted to kind of get through it to say that I had seen the ending. Um, but it turns out that it's actually, the, the horror is very effective because you can't just run away from enemies. This isn't like Outlast where that is all you can do and it's what you have to do is just run away. Um, in this one, there are often sections of the game where you have to face them. You can't attack them directly. You have to lead them somewhere and then lose them so that you can get to an area that they were protecting. You have to deal with this invisible thing in the water where you can see where it's stepping but you can't see it and you have to constantly be planning around where you're going to go next 
uh, how long you can be in the water, where the creature is. There's all these different things. Uh, and after a certain section of the game, I did play it legitimately. Um, I no longer... I, I didn't go back in and change my stats. Uh, there's a section where you're forced to quote-unquote die. Uh, and I, I didn't cheat after that. And it did have some pretty great horror. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's the best. I... There was never a time where I felt as much tension in that as most of the other games where you do have to face your fears, but it is more than competent in its horror. Alien Isolation is in a similar vein, um, but you do actually have the opportunity to face the stalking alien, and the alien is not the only threat you're going to face. It is a constant threat, and you have to watch out for it, but you also have to deal with humans and androids that you have to face directly head on and and take care of them for good. Um, But you also need to deal with the invincible monster that you have to uh, lead away from you. You can stun it, uh, but it's not generally, you know, that's not the goal of the game is not to keep stunning it the whole game. It's not going to work out super well if you try to do that. But you have to learn how to hide from it and lead it away and distract it and all these different things um, because it kind of learns your movement patterns as you play through, so you can never rely on just one strategy through the whole game, which is really interesting and a really good way moving forward. I think it's a great kind of forward leap in the horror genre to have a an AI kind of pick up on your usual tactics and subvert them so you constantly are on your toes and have to be changing what you do. Yeah, I think Alien Isolation is essentially the best of both worlds in that it introduces an alien, um, a monster that you can't face, that you always have to be running away from. But there's also standard enemies that you do have to face. Um, so you have to face your fears and you have things to run away from. It's great. Uh, now, we've talked about a whole bunch of series that are really great and one series that we weren't a big fan of. Let's talk about a specific series that has had lots of praise in spite of the fact that we personally believe it is probably the lowest brow of horror possible. Uh, and if you don't know what it is yet, uh, we'll, we'll release your tension. It's Five Nights at Freddy's. Ah! If you don't know what that is, that's the entire game. <laughs> it's, just, it's just jump wait, scares. Wait, that's not the entire game. The game is this. Look, look, click, 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 click. Look, look, click, look, click. Okay, it's just, it's just (laughs) boring, okay? There is a certain amount of tension, right? Because, you know, night four of the original Five Nights at Freddy's, you look at the hallway and you see Foxy literally just gunning it down the hall. That is scary. Don't get me wrong. That is scary. But when the payoff of every single thing that happens is a jump scare, you get horror fatigued in like five minutes. It doesn't well, last long at all. Not only that, but the game itself is incredibly just odd. It's not a particularly fun game. Uh, the only reason I believe that it has gained any amount of popularity is specifically because of streamers mm-hmm. and people enjoying watching streamers um, overreact to the quote-unquote horror on display. Yeah, without MatPat and Markiplier, it would be it would never have gotten off the ground. No. No way. Um, mm. and, and, and it's because the games aren't good games, period. They're not good games. 
They're also not good horror games, but they're not good games to begin with because they're not very engaging and they don't require you to do very much, but they require you to do that stuff constantly. You're constantly looking at images in all these different places. And for me specifically, I find it really obnoxious because they keep having you kind of do things that don't make sense in reality. Why is it that to close the door, it takes energy, but to leave the doors open, it does not take energy? Why can't I look at all the screens at the same time? Why do I have to look at one at a time when in the games, the monitor rooms literally have dozens of monitors? <laughs> and, you know, there, there's also questions about the story of it's like, okay, if you know that these animatronics are going to try to kill people specifically at night, why don't you lock them in a room? Why don't you give the person a suit to wear? Which I think they eventually do, and they still explain why that's not going to keep you safe for whatever reason. Yeah, I think in the second one or third one, you have a you have like a, a duck head that you can slip on or a bunny head or something. Yeah. It's just, I, I have to give Five Nights at Freddy's credit because at least with the first couple, the the completely hidden story that you have to kind of piece together is an interesting concept. But it does not a good game make. Just putting in interesting ideas does not make the game good. The game, as a video game, is not fun. It's not good. It's not well made. It frankly doesn't look that great. And it never really looks that much better. And again, the the, the horror is really not scary. It's just surprise. You're not going to be up at night thinking about Bonnie or Freddy. You are going to be up at night uh, thinking of the psychological horror of various other franchises. It's just not, it's not a good, it's not a good standard to hold horror to. People have lost sleep over necromorphs, zombies, and xenomorphs. No one has lost sleep over Freddy Fazbear. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, talking about one game, um, before before we conclude... Uh, maybe a couple of short games that are interesting. Um, one is Oxenfree. If you haven't played it, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but know that it is a one part psychological horror, one part existential horror. Um, one part teenage drama. Yeah, one part teenage drama. It's Just because actually... I have as many parts as it needs, okay? This doesn't have to <laughs> equal 100. It's not 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've actually, I played Oxenfree. I got it for like free, I think, through... Uh, Epic Games or something like that, and I was just, I had no idea what it was going into it. I had no idea that I was in for a um, horror experience, and I loved it. It was it was narrative-driven. There are no jump scares. There's no monsters. It's all very existential slash Lovecraftian, where it's not really explained a lot. Um, and and I, I didn't mean to usurp. You can talk about it a little bit, but I just want to say I am... Looking forward, there is a sequel that was just announced, and I'm looking forward to it because I hope that it's able to live up to the same expectations and build on some of the ideas presented in the first one. Well, I'll just say that this one is interesting because it's definitely a horror experience. Like, the things that occur in this um, fill you with dread and a morbid sense of curiosity of being like, what is happening? I want to figure this out, but, like, what's going to happen to me? Um but it is not conventional horror. There's no monster. There's no death necessarily. There's there's none of those things that you'd expect 
but it does have that feeling of tension and it, it just it's it's a fantastic experience um, the story is lots of fun and the fact that you can play through it multiple times and further playthroughs will modify um, I'm sorry previous playthroughs will pot, pot, modify your next playthrough uh, potentially is just super interesting um, another game that you probably haven't played um, that I finished a little while ago is Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion. Or um, the or the HD remaster. <laughs> yeah, and um, in spite of its name, this game contains almost no jump scares in it. Uh, and it starts out and you think kind of like, oh, this is a, this is a comedy game. Like it's a joke. Um, because you'll walk through a whole bunch of hallways and nothing happens. There's just like um, pop-up cardboard things. No, those don't even exist for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's nothing in the hallways. You're just walking through and everything is fine. Uh, when you start the game, this little cute ghost girl who is spooky is like, let's see if you can make it through my spooky mansion. He 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 he. And you know, you're thinking the whole thing is a joke, but then. You know, half hour into the game, if you're willing to wait that long, you start seeing these stalking creatures that are terrifying, and each one has different uh, methods to avoid them. Some of them you have to run away. Um, well, honestly, most of them you just have to run away, but almost all of them have specific abilities that are different. Um, one enemy that you run away from is this puppet master. And if you ever look away from him, he immediately jumps to you and starts attacking you. And sometimes even when you're looking at him, he will zip away like that. And you have to suddenly turn around to catch him before he cuts you up. And it's terrifying. Uh, there's this deer god thing that as it gets closer to you, your vision turns to static. And it can fly through walls. Uh, and there's some regular deer that it is like in charge of that try to eat you even though deers don't eat meat normally <laughs> and you're not expecting that when you first see them you're like oh this is nice just some deer and then you're like oh my gosh they're eating me my skin there's rooms that have infinite loops there's rooms where you have to find the right way out um when it's covered in fog it's just the the game is not a masterpiece or masterclass of horror, but the horror that it does, it does right. And what's really great is that there are these little pop-up cutouts of these little squishy squids and marshmallows and stuff that aren't scary that start popping up. And you're like, oh, so scary, jump scares, what am I going to do? But then you're running away from something, and suddenly it pops out, and it gets in your way, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die! And yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it is definitely a horror experience, unlike most any other, and it's a good one. Uh, I'm, I'm really surprised. Uh, finally, last but not least, let's talk about because we, we gotta, we gotta talk about Silent Hill, uh, franchise. I have not played most of these, but I will say, at the very least, the things that I have seen in in videos and the music that I've listened to. Silent Hill 1 through 3 are great horror because in a, in in one fashion it is it is a depression horror game. It is like it is just so 
so many of the plot points and especially the revelations by the time you get to the end of them are so devastating to you that it's like, oh, this is not a real thing happening. This is just a tortured soul going through their own personal hell because because they feel like that's what they need to do to atone for their sins is like, man, too heavy, man, too heavy, too heavy for this horror game. This is a video game. I don't need those kinds of themes jacking up my day. I see myself in this picture, and I don't like it! Yeah. Silent Hill as a franchise is really interesting because, much like the uh, Resident Evil franchise, the first three games are all considered to be very good. The first game is a classic, um, though, in all regards, not all that scary anymore. The second game is considered to be uh, one of the best horror games of all time. Introduces Pyramid Head, which is incredibly recognizable. Uh, great um, horror villain because you, for the most of the part, have to run away from him, but then you have to face him, and then there's multiple of him, and it's just like, okay, things escalated real quick here. Real quick. Uh, in the third game, it has more of that um, horrifying imagery and stuff, but it also has some really weird things going on, which the absurdity helps you to kind of relieve tension just for it to be returned when you see these dolls and nurses trying to chop you up. Um, unfortunately, there's Silent Hill Downpour and Silent Hill The Room, um, both of which are bad. Silent Hill The Room, some people still enjoy it, but it's not really scary anymore, and it's it's not really Silent Hill anymore because you're not in Silent Hill. You're just in an apartment room. They were the, Those two games were bad enough that they killed the series for approximately 20 years. <laughs> well, let's just say that. Yeah, not not good. Uh, but then Silent Hill got a quasi-reboot with PT, uh, the playable teaser for Silent Hills. And this is such an iconic thing that it has spawned multiple um, new games that are specifically trying to replicate what that little teaser did. And people are still talking about this teaser and playing it and still investigating. The th- I mean, I swear it was only a couple months ago that they're like, hey, it turns out in PT that the, that the you know, Woman ghost is lady is behind you. Yeah, yeah, is constantly behind you. And I'm like, are why are people still looking into this? This was like a half hour teaser that you can't even download anymore. But people kept it or, you know, have it online that they can download and install. And uh, it's still getting talked about because it does... In the very short amount of time it has, it does pretty much everything right with tension, tone, music, lighting, and payoff. Yeah. So Silent Hill is definitely an iconic franchise, and there are many other franchises and games that we wanted to discuss, uh, but to keep our podcast within the time limit, we're going to have to move on to our final thoughts uh, about these games and, and, and kind of about horror games in general. Yeah, we'll have to revisit this with a more specific idea in mind to talk about more. So are all horror games bad, or are they all amazing? No, no obviously not. We've already talked about many in many different camps. There's a lot of amazing ones, there's a lot of terrible ones, and there's a lot of eh, in the middle. Unfortunately, it's a lot easier to make really bad horror than good horror. Uh, I mean, okay, to be fair, it's not that surprising. It's always easier to make a bad thing than a good thing. But the really unfortunate thing is that bad horror is conflated with good horror a lot of the time, as we've talked about. 
Five Nights at Freddy's. A lot of people think that that's really good horror. It's not like that's not just in our opinion. That's like straight up objectively. When you look at the things that make horror good, that does not fulfill the criteria. Um, but people look at that and they look at body horror and they look at torture porn where there's none of that tension, that payoff, the mute. It's like that's all there is to it. And they still think it's great. And you can like it. That's okay. You're allowed to like things that are, uh, that do not fulfill the correct criteria to be considered good and effective horror. Uh, but don't call it good and effective horror because it's, it's not. That's just, that's just false. False lies. Look, there are games and series of games that are entirely built on jump scares, Five Nights at Freddy's, and or sounds that are sub-frequent so that you can't hear them. There have been a couple of games that I have played where I'm like, man, this really feels terrifying, but there's like nothing going on. Take the headphones off and suddenly there's nothing scary about the game. Even when you get to the jump scares, even when you get to the horror um, pieces, and it's like, that's not good horror. If I can take my headphones off and suddenly all the tension is gone, that tells me that something has has gone wrong here. I can play Resident Evil without sound, and it can still be terrifying. In fact, it can be a little bit more terrifying because I can't hear where the things are. Um, so that's, that's really disappointing. Um, but on top of these low-effort kinds of horror, there are other depictions of horror that are usually lauded um, that we would also classify as bad or poor horror. Um, that's gross-out horror, uh, attempts to create something disgusting rather than terrifying. I talked about agony before. That's a great example. Um, most of these modern horror films, um, films that come out, are kind of to blame for this because they are the mainstream kind of what most people see and think about with horror, and they're not. True horror nowadays are more often suspense films. Um, they're categorized as being suspenseful rather than horror, but that's really the horror that we want. Now, real horror is going to have a little bit of mixture of both of those, but it's the suspense and payoff that is far more terrifying than just gross out and torture porn kind of stuff. Uh, and it's just unfortunate how common those things have become because they have led to some bad horror video games. Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate. That type of horror, like Jordan said, a mixture of things is the key, okay? That is that is the, if you're going to take something away from this podcast, that is the main point. A mixture, a conglomerate of all these things together is what makes good horror. If it's just jump scares, or it's just torture porn, or it's just gross out, or it's just sounds, or it's just tension and no payoff, you are using those things as an end for themselves instead of a means to an end. And that end is to terrify people. Those things are not terrifying. They're just kind of annoying. <laughs> if, you, if that's all there is, they're just kind of annoying. And if there's anything you're going to take away from this, I think that is the main thesis that we're trying to get at and that we've gotten at talking about all these different games. But we want to know what you think about kind of our thesis and the things that we've talked about and the games we've talked about and want to know what your experience with horror games has been and 
you know, which ones have terrified you the most and which you feel get undue praise and you don't feel like they really lived up to the expectations that you've garnered. You know, you also want to hear about games that you're like, why is no one talking about this? This is amazing horror. Yeah. And uh, to talk to us about those things, we have a we have a couple avenues for you. You can talk to us on our Twitter at Reflect on Gaming, our Instagram Reflections on Gaming, our Facebook page, also Reflections on Gaming. You could hop onto our Discord, which you can find a link to in the description of this podcast. Or you can even email us at reflectionsongaming at gmail.com or talk to us live on our Twitch streams. We're not playing a horror game right now, uh, but when Resident Evil 8 drops, you can bet your bottom Bottom dollar, dollar. that's an old phrase, that we are going to be playing that on stream uh, because we're both really excited for it. If you want to catch our streams, please follow us on Twitch so you get notified when we're streaming but also know our schedules that we stream every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. So, plenty of opportunities for you to stop in and talk to us live, and uh, you can be guaranteed that we will respond to anything you say because, you know, we're pretty small and we we care about you as an individual. Plus, what are we going to do, ignore it? Right. (laughs) Like, hey, I want to call you out for your thoughts on horror. It's like, I'm just not going to talk to that guy. (laughs) I'm ignoring that. (laughs) All that being said, we really appreciate you listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please, please, please leave a rating. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave a review. It helps so much spread the podcast. And we check periodically to, to see them and to look at the feedback we get because it really means a lot. And we really want to make this podcast something that you come back to week after week and enjoy every time. And ratings and reviews will help us get there and also help other people discover us. So with all of that said, we uh, thank you very much for listening to our podcast and we'll be releasing another episode next week for you to listen to just like every week. Yeah, hope you guys have a great week and uh, yeah, hope we catch you next week. <laughs>